Good afternoon. My name is Kana, and I'm here with my family, Mark Bond, and um, our oldest is Emily Beth, and we have Chelsea and Taylor and Adriana, and we are having them help us today. I want to start right off the bat by saying we are not child raising experts, we're not parenting experts, but as our kids have grown and gotten older, we've had a number of people come to us. In fact, even when I went on a mission trip last October, um, I had people over there come up to me and say, how is it that your children are still in the church? How is it that you're so close as a family? How is it that you got them to come with you and each one give a series of sermons? And um, it gave us some pause to think and kind of reflect because I can't say that there has been one focus in how we have chosen to raise our children other than we wanted them to know the Lord and we wanted to be close as a family. And so we started examining our own experience and we asked our children, write down, tell us some of the things that we have done as a family that made a difference for you, that, made, that strengthened your faith, that kept us close as a family. What are the things that, that we did that were right, sometimes by accident, and we only recognize it in hindsight. Of course, we know the Lord was guiding us. So we're gonna let our children share some of those things today because I think uh, it gave us some insight and, and, and I'll tie it up in the end with what some of those principles are. Um, but I, I, you know, we could, we could share scads of quotes and, and verses from the Bible. Um, we're gonna share our own experiences today and we urge you to be Bereans and go and double check anything that we share with you um, with what the Bible says and with what God's word says. There are so many wonderful books, Child Guidance, Education, Counsels to Parents and Teachers, and so many others um, by other authors. And, and it is good to read those things, but sometimes it's nice to hear a personal testimony as well. And that's mainly what we're gonna share today. Um, we've noticed something that parents can read all of those books and go through all the child training and go through all, to all the seminars and still somehow miss the boat. And I think that that question, how can that be? How is it possible to go through all the motions, to read all the books, to have all the knowledge, and still somehow fail our children or fail in our own lives? How is that possible? And we're gonna just look a little deeper into some of those questions today. That's probably what is maybe unique about our seminar. Um, I think we're gonna go ahead and start and let our children share uh, right in the beginning if, if you guys are ready. Um, Adriana is 12. She will be going into seventh grade. And um, she is gonna share a few things that she wrote down that she thought has made a difference in her life. Okay, I wanna start out by saying I am completely terrified right now, so just watch out. <laughs> okay, so I wanna start out by saying um, I really am thankful to my parents for all that they have done for me. They are amazing, and I don't know what I would have done without them. Uh, I think that the times that my parents really, really got through to me the most was when, like, if I did something that they told me not to, or I, I did something behind their back, they didn't, like, get super angry at me, like, Adriana, don't do that, don't do that. Um, they, they came to me and they were calm, and they were sweet, and they brought me a little treat, and they said, I am, I, I, Adriana, I understand how, what you feel, but that's just not how we go about things, and it's not right. And that's the times that I always felt worse, and I'm just like, I'm so sorry. So 
I, I haven't done anything like that since. Well, I've been nodding, but of course. Like, I haven't done what I did then. And so, also, when they teach me, especially my mom, uh, they really, they, they ask us questions and they engage us in conversations and they bring up questions that really need to be answered. And they ask us things like why we believe what we believe and why we think we go to the church we, we go to and all like things. She asked us one time, why do you think we believe in creation rather than evolution? And we came back with an answer and she doesn't, and whenever we ask her questions that she has a hard time answering, she, she looks it up or she goes to the Bible for answers. And also, they also really like, they acknowledge that we're there and they don't just like turn us off when we ask them questions or when they're talking to somebody else. They, they, they look at us and they say, just one moment till we're done. And they, they make it a point when they're done to ask us what we needed them for. Taylor is next. He's our only son, and he just turned 14. Okay. So um, a couple of years ago, I was living in Texas, and um, I had a friend of mine, and um, I was going to go have a sleepover at his house. And um, I was really excited. I'd never done a sleepover before. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. And I also was excited because I thought he had a little bit more freedom religiously than I did. And I could do stuff that I hadn't been able to do at home and have a little bit more freedom. I was going to have some fun. And I got over there, and I had the sleepover. And I got back the next morning. And I just remember being like so so terrified and almost like I had like a knot in my stomach and I was just not very happy with what went on. And I remember just telling my mom, thank you, mom, for being the kind of mom that says no. And I know that saying no, I know that saying no matters. And um, parents um, need to have the courage to say no to their kids when it may not always be like the thing they want to hear or the thing that they're looking for, parents do know the be what's best and that sort of thing. Another thing I wanted to share is that when I was, I think, 11 years old, my dad started taking me on business trips with him. And I started getting mentored by people. That's when I started doing photography. I met all these people in Houston and all over the United States. And I just, I got a lot of opportunities that way. So I know that that helped me a lot also. And that's all. Next we have Chelsea. She is uh, almost 19. And uh, she has just finished her freshman year in college along with her sister. They were so close in age that we had them in the same grade. All right, so for me, um, I have a couple points that I'd like to make when it comes to how I was raised and what really made a difference in my life. Um, my, my first point would be that a home of support and love can really heal someone. 
Um, when I was starting back, when I was like two and three, ever since I can remember, I was high stress child, um, high fear. Um, my mom always said I lived in the red zone. <laughs> um, didn't matter what was what was happening in my life, I made it way bigger than it had to be. If it was exciting, it was so exciting that I couldn't handle it. And if it was something scary, it was so scary that I couldn't handle it. <laughs> um, and even for little things, um, just um, going on airplane rides, anything like that, it was, I couldn't do it. Um, I was basically crippled by my own fears. And another thing was I was extremely shy. Um, most, most people that know me now are so surprised by that. But I couldn't even walk into a room without one of my family members in front of me because it was so intimidating to see other people. Um, and I couldn't spend nights even at my grandparents' house. Even though I loved them and was comfortable with them during the day, at night I just had to be with my family. And my parents were okay with that. They wanted me to be happy at home and be ready to be at home. But they, at, at eventually, it, I would get so stressed out that anything was hard for us as a family because it was high stress for me. And so they were kind of at a loss for what to do with me. <laughs> and, you know, like we couldn't even go on trips. My family has traveled a lot. And the night before we would fly somewhere, I would get so sick to my stomach. And my parents would share things um, with me, telling me that everything was going to be okay and that it would be just like being at home and we were just going to go have a big adventure. And that almost made it worse. But one time my dad made the joke about, wow, I don't know if Chelsea's ever going to be able to get married because you know, she's not going to be able to even make it down the aisle without a bucket because I would get so sick. And we all laughed it off. It was just a joke, and he didn't mean anything by it, but that was a reality to me at that age. I was like, I am never going to be able to get married. <laughs> and it was an insanely real possibility in my mind. I thought that was going to happen. But that was the extent of my family's jokes about what my problem was. Um, my parents never put labels on me. They never told me, oh, you have this, that, or the other thing. They never said that I had something, some, they never got me diagnosed with some fear problem or something that was an established thing that either had to be treated or something that I could rely on as an excuse for being the way that I am. I had nothing that I could say, oh, I'm this way and I'm never going to change. Um, my mom always told me that my mind is the strongest thing and the only thing that I can use to overcome whatever it is that I'm struggling with. And that was through my choices, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I could decide to let go of my fears if I would only let the Holy Spirit come in. And no, realizing that, to me, was really hard at first. That didn't make sense. You know, in my life, my fears were real. It just, I would always tell my mom, it just happens, I can't help it. And she said, no, I think you can help it. She says, I understand it's real to you right now, but you can help it. And that changed my life, even though I didn't understand it at first. Um, one time, I finally decided that I could go to a week at summer camp. And I was so excited, but when it came down to it, I was so terrified that I told my mom I had to go home. And so I didn't even stay the first night. And I was 14. 
And I was thinking, this is terrible. I'm 14 years old, and I can't even just go away for a few days from my mom. And when we went, the next morning, I woke up, and something in my mind changed. I said, you know what? No, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have, God is going to help me through this because this is something that he's given to me. This is going to be an exciting week for me. So my mom took me back, and we drove back up to camp, and all the way up, I have never had a harder experience in my life. It was literally like I fought a battle. But my mom, the way she was there for me was insane. She was driving me up. She was singing songs with me, like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And she was telling me to sing, although I couldn't eat or drink anything, so my mouth was so dry that I could barely breathe. And I was shaking. I was basically hyperventilating because my hands and legs went numb. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to do this. But once we got up there, my mom was saying, no, this is, this is your time. God is with you. God is here. He's your helper. You can do this. And it was through that support. If my mom hadn't been there, if this was something that I just wanted to do on my own that I had just randomly decided was going to be fun, I don't think I would have made it. But she made it a battle that I had to fight, and she fought it with me. I didn't fight my battle alone. And so when I got up to camp, I got out of the car, and it was like something had completely changed. And I've never been the same. I'm, now I'm in college. Um, I'm traveling all over the place. I've been to Africa twice. And if it hadn't been for my parents telling me, no, you can make decisions. God can help you make these decisions to be a different person, to overcome what it is that's in your mind. I would not have been able to be here today. I would not be up front right now. I would be sitting there shaking in the seat. The other thing I want to say is reiterate what my little sister said about questions. Questions were a big thing in our family. Um, lots of kids have questions. I think all kids have questions. So there are some, I work at summer camp, and I can't tell you one kid that doesn't ask 100 questions about the same different things. Like you'll have five kids ask the same question in the, in, within five minutes. And my parents, a lot of times that can get really frustrating to those who are in charge and trying to take care of things. But my parents, I'm sure we hammered them with hundreds and millions and thousands of questions, but they allowed us to ask questions, especially when it came to our faith. They, faith, they actually encouraged us to ask questions. Um, they felt that it was important for us to question what we believe. And now, as bad as that sounds, um, they weren't wanting us just to question for the sake of questioning. They wanted us to question because they wanted us to find answers. Um, they didn't just make us accept what we believed with the, with the excuse of, oh, well, that's the way it is, or because I said so, or, why would, or like make an accusation like, why would you question God and his goodness? Um, they would encourage us to ask questions. And if they couldn't find the answer or they didn't know, like Adriana said, they would look it up or they would try to answer it or find somebody that could answer it or give us a book and tell us to find it and say, why don't you come back to me and tell me what you find on that? And because of that, I learned to search out my own beliefs. And it was, that was another mind thing for me. I had to overcome in my own mind the questions that I had. Um, we began at that point to question to learn, not just to question. And it was through that type of learning that I came to find my picture of God. And I have come to believe now, through the picture that my parents gave me, 
I've come to believe that God allows questions. Um, because if you look in the Bible, you're going to find that God already answered our questions before we even asked them. So obviously, he's expecting that we're going to have questions to ask. Um, and so my parents tried to create that kind of understanding and environment in our household so that we would be allowed to ask questions and allowed to find answers. Um, so without that, I think I would not have the same picture of God. I would still have a lot of the same questions and misconceptions about the God that I serve that I had when I was little. And now I still have questions. I still have things that I don't understand. But I'm coming to find answers. And with their help, I, without their help, I would have never been able to do that. And finally, Emily Beth is our oldest. She just turned 20 this summer and also just finished her freshman year in college. Uh, the two of them are roommates and will be going back for their second year. They go to Walla Walla University. Uh, Emily Beth is taking health and nutrition and Chelsea is taking history and art and music. <laughs> okay. I think something that you'll, you may realize very quickly about me is that I am not very talented in um, the structure department. <laughs> so if what I'm saying sounds really random and not very well thought out or put together, I'm sorry. I'm working on that in my public speaking capabilities, but um, some, of the, some of the questions that I am hoping to answer throughout this is um, what made my faith become my own, or what made my family's faith become my own, um, what made me settle in my beliefs, and want to stay with my family and the church, and also what shaped and formed my view of God, what is shaping my view of God. I grew up in a family that moved out of Orlando, Florida. We uprooted to the middle of nowhere in Montana, tossed out the TV, um, <laughs> made royal attempts at veganism, all these things, managed to, you know, uh, they managed to raise their children for a time without knowing who Britney Spears was, that kind of thing. Um, and while those things absolutely made a difference in our lives, and I don't think any of us regret that at all, it was more than the outward acts of commitment um, that, that showed the motive behind what it was that we did and why. And that there's more to following God than our outward actions. It's a heart issue. Um, one of the things that I realized growing up um, that one of the things that my family wanted us to realize that there's more to serving God um, and that it has to be done out, out of love. And that if, if you're not doing something out of love, whether that's for your family member or for God, it has absolutely no meaning. Like what Chelsea said and Adriana, um, they, uh, they encouraged us to ask questions and to find answers and also to realize that every question has a preconceived idea or answer in your mind. Usually if you're asking a question, you already believe something about that to an extent. And the answer that you'll find often just confirms what you already wanted to believe in the first place. So if your heart is not in the right place, you're not going to be looking or finding the right answers 
simply because you're, you're searching with selfish motives. So that was something that um, I really appreciated in how my parents taught us to look at our faith and you know why we decide to believe a certain way and the fact that it's okay to believe something that makes you really different, um, which isn't easy. <laughs> Chelsea and I grew up homeschooled till our sophomore year and then we went to um, Chisholm Trail Academy in, Ke in Keene, Texas for the last two years. Had an amazing experience. Didn't have any trouble adjusting socially, just in case you were wondering. But, um, you know, it's, it's a big difference going to school and being surrounded by kids that aren't, may not believe the same way you do. And you're just, it's, it's not, it's just like the world compounded into, you know, 200 kids that you spend time with every day. So it's not anything different than you see going to Walmart. It's just, you know, right in your face every day. And um, so if Chelsea and I hadn't had the foundation that we had previously to that, going to high school, going to college, I know without a doubt that I personally know without a doubt that I would be a very different person. And that it's allowed me to ask questions and answer them and to know what I stand for and why. But <laughs> I mean, many, many mistakes. It's hard enough just knowing the information. You, it's, it's another thing to act on it. And, but that's a personal heart issue too, that God takes you on a journey and teaches you from, from your mistakes. He's very forgiving. Um, let me see, I kind of drifted there for a second. <laughs> um, another thing is that my parents didn't make decisions just for, for us or for me. They made decisions for themselves. I remember, I don't actually remember this, but I remember my mom telling me this. I think I was like three years old. And um, there was a specific TV show that she absolutely loved. And I would, she'd try to put me to bed so that she could watch it. And um, I kept coming out of my bedroom and sneaking around the corner and watching. I was really mischievous. But um, it was just, she didn't want me to see what she was watching, partly just because I was supposed to be in bed in the first place. That aside, one day it hit her, if it is not right for her, then it's not right for you. And I remember hearing that, that story um, later on in life and realizing my mom made sacrifices for things that you know, she really enjoyed just because she realized that it wasn't right for me. And that maturity to be able to give up things that are important to you or the things that we foster in our lives that aren't good for, you know, you know it's not good for your child, but you justify it for yourself. Like that goes for me now with my siblings, things that I feel like it's okay for me to do, and I'm my own person, and I don't really care what everyone else thinks. It still sends a message, and if it's not right for them, then it's not right for me. Um, and that played over into my life from a very early age. I remember being seven years old, and skating, I, I started taking figure skating lessons when I was seven and lived and breathed figure skating. I've never loved a sport <laughs> more and I was really good at it. Like I'm not an incredibly athletic person. Anything with a ball, just absolute fail. But skating, I could do. And I would, I had just hundreds of figure skating movies and would watch them daily for hours and knew all about everyone who was skating just 
it was like, it was seriously, it was my idol from just this little girl. And I remember one day out of the blue, feeling like I need to get rid of these skating videos. I need to put them in a box and put them away for a while. And I don't know where that came from, but I just, for some, somehow God was working on my little heart, I didn't even know it, to say, you know, even though this is something I love, I'm really consumed with this. And I'm just going to put it away for a little bit. I don't even know if I really understood why I was doing it at the time. Um, but it was so vivid to me looking back. I still remember that decision and realizing, wow, the decisions of my parents made a difference in my life. And even when I may not have understood it, it had opened my heart to being able to listen to what God wanted me to do. And unfortunately, I feel like that was a lot easier for me to do when I was seven. And now that I'm older, there's still things that I just hold on to and hold on to and hold on to because I feel like it's my right and, you know. Anyways, but it's still a lesson that I know is very important and um, I'm trying to still follow today. Um, another thing is, I'm really long-winded, I'm sorry. This might take a few minutes. Um, I remember being instilled with the knowledge that if there's a problem in the household or if you're having an issue with if I'm having an issue with Chelsea or Taylor, or if we butt heads, most often than not, they're not the problem. It's me. And until I take responsibility for that and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me in a sincere way, until I realize that I am part of, just as much part of the problem as they are, it's not going to be resolved. And you can't, I, I realized that through the example of my parents, you can't say sorry expecting anything return, anything in return. That has to be a sincere apology without, you know, saying, okay, well, I said sorry, so now you have to say sorry and feel just as repentant about it as me. And um, that's a, it's a model that I want for my family someday and not just for families, but in a marriage. I want, I want to find a, a partner that will be able to say, you know, I'm sorry. And, and will forgive me and that someone that I can say, you know, you know, it's a give and take. Someone where that's, that's willing to be as open and honest as you are. Um, those, those three things are, some, are the three things that st stood out um, the most to me th through my growing up years. But probably the thing that made the biggest impact on my life happened just this year, just in the last couple months. And I'm sorry if I start to bawl my eyes out. But... Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Here we go. Just speaking really candidly. Um, okay, I can do this. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I went through um, a relationship in the last year that didn't end up being, turning out at all how I'd hoped. <laughs> and really had my heart broken. Um, but not just that, I made some decisions in the relationship just because of the fact that I was so committed that I would not have made otherwise. And um, I'm not always one to spill my guts or be really open with my parents especially. Um, even though I know they can read me like a book and usually I know exactly what's going on, I like to think that I can just, you know, shut the world out and, you know, keep it inside and 
life is life as usual. But um, in the time after my breakup, I was just going, I, as you can tell, I'm still slightly affected. But um, I was going through a lot of just hurt and pain and confusion. And um, every day, I was, I was at school at this point trying to get through finals. Um, but every day they would text me and say, Emily Beth, I love you. And I'm proud of you for everything. And, and that meant a lot to me reading it. But I hadn't told them anything. I hadn't, you know, they knew I was hurting over the breakup, but I, I hadn't just laid my cards out on the table. And um, so as I was reading those messages, I was like, oh, that's so sweet. They love me, but they have no idea. <laughs> like, if only they knew. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden that would change. And, um, you know, the, the love and the pride would disappear the second I was open and honest. But um, right before I came home, I was talking to my mom, and all of a sudden everything came out. And it, you know, I had my cards on the table, and my mom was like, Emily Beth, I know. I've known for a long time. And I wasn't going to push you to talk about how you were feeling or what you were going through. I wanted that to be something that, you know, I knew you were hurting, but I wasn't going to force you to open up. I just wanted to love you the entire way through. And same with my dad. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh my goodness. All of those text messages and everything that came, everything they said to me, was in full knowledge of my mistakes and who I was and my shortcomings. And that's something that I will never forget, ever as long as I live. I mean, even since then, <laughs> we've had our struggles, and I've been livid and just angry. But never once have I ever questioned whether my parents loved me. And that has given me the most clear picture of who God is. Because ever from a very early age, you know, right around the time I um, was giving, uh, uh, was you know, I was seven years old. Um, I just have, I had this dream related to um, a couple movies that I'd seen, like kids movies, Bible song movies, I don't know. It's another story if you wanna hear about it. But I had so many phobias. I got a phobia of poodles, which I'm just getting over, large poodles. Um, I know you've probably never heard of that, but like, hyperventilating cry, like if a big poodle comes near me. Anyways, um, and along with that fear came just the terrifying certainty that God was going to make me marry somebody that I didn't love and didn't care for. And um, so I've always had these just underlying, what's the word I'm looking for, irrational fears about God's goodness and that he loves me and just so sure that whatever it is that he has for me is not going to make me happy and not going to be what I want. And so just, you know, that example from my parents that I've been getting all along, God has never been anything but good to me. My parents have never been anything but, anything but good to me. And the model that I've been given of God is someone that is selfless and loving and forgiving and long-suffering. And, um, but even that knowledge alone 
has, has oftentimes I feel like my fear isn't enough or is, is too overpowering for that knowledge. And so that's something that I've had to, to deal with in my life is to put my, my faith over my head or my heart and to know that, no, what God has for me is exactly what is best for me and will make me happy. And um, so what it, what it comes down to in my mind is unconditional love. And I'm not talking about the love that is like the Beatles love, you know, all you need is love. Like everybody just love each other, nothing matters. There's no rules, there's no right or wrong. That's not at all what I'm talking about. But if, if you're trying to um, uphold principles in your household that maybe rub against whatever it is your child wants to do or adult child, you know, like the older you get, the more opinions we have. And um, if you're trying to enforce something that is causing a rub, there's going to be that rub. But if you're doing it simply because you want to follow this formula or fit this mold or make these people happier, make, you know, people think highly of you or just to feel like you're doing everything right, there's not going to be anything in, in that, that that, you know, for me personally, that I would want to hold on to because you want something that's deep and that's meaningful and lasting and there's no way I would want to serve a God that's vindictive and says, follow me just because I say so. There has to be love behind the action. Love has to be the motive or it's going to mean absolutely nothing and later on in life they'll walk away and it won't have meant anything to them. Um, so so the, the love to me that, that w has been portrayed is, it, it's, let me see where I am here. <laughs> um, it's, it's the kind of love that not only just stays up at night holding, you know, my, my hair back when I'm throwing up, but that will love me even when I'm a mess, like really just a wreck. And um, they don't love me just for the sake of being controlling, but because they really, really love me and want what's best for me. And um, it's a, another thing is I think compassion is really important. Um, because you can love someone and still just feel really hardlined because you love them and want them to do what's right. You have to have compassion too, and not just in your family. Something that I've really appreciated is that um, my parents have gone out of their way to teach us the importance of compassion to other people that may look bad or smell bad or aren't exactly the same as you or just drive you crazy and make you want to crawl out of your skin or that, you know, just take your popularity level to the tanks. Like, it doesn't matter, you know? We, we're, we're, as a church, we're supposed to be loving. We're supposed to love other people regardless of, of our differences. And that goes in the family household as well. Um, and so I think that's basically everything I wanted to say here in these eight pages that I wrote down that I think I covered everything. But what it comes down to is that without the, without the foundation, it will mean nothing. And um, they won't want to have anything to do with you or what you stand for or with the God that is seemingly forcing these things on them if there's no love. Um, and so... We, my family, um, 
have we've learned these things over the years, and obviously I'm still struggling with them every day, and you know, trying to to have a love and a walk with God that's strong enough to make me, you know, want to make wise decisions for the right reasons. Um, but that's yeah, that's basically everything I had to say. I think I'm going to be done now. <laughs> but yeah, so okay, I'm done. <laughs> Well, I don't want anybody to have any illusions about how things are in our house. You could not find six people who are more different. Sometimes I think it's just amazing that God would put these six people in the same house since they live together in peace. (laughs) But somehow he has managed to just use us to change each other and to deepen our understanding of who God is and it's been an amazing journey and it's not over and our children are going to continue learning you know when we're dead and gone but I really hope we're in heaven soon Um, there are reasons why we miss the boat and why we can read all the books and have all the answers and still somehow fail as parents and as family members and and as as children. We're born with these rebellious spirits. We're subjected to daily temptation. And, you know, anyone who's a parent knows more than, you know, that that we really are in a great controversy. I mean, this is a battle. You see it more as you're watching it in your children. When you're the young one going through it, you just want your freedom. When you see your children start to struggle with these issues and you know something is better for them, you start to realize just how bad of a battle this really is. Um, And like I said, we're going to trust today that you can read all of the books and get all of the information and and we're not going to give you any PowerPoint lists of this is what you do to raise the perfect child or this is how it will turn out for you. We just really want to look at some of those deeper questions of why sometimes we fail as parents and what failure really is. Uh, Generally, we all fall into one of two categories at any given time. We're either an outward rebellion, and everybody can see it, or we're an inward rebellion, but we're all going through the right motions. And in my mind, both are just equally a fail. Uh, Anyone who's honest will admit to experiencing both kinds of failures at at some time in their life. Uh, we're, We're just good at making up excuses and pressing on and trying to make ourselves look as good as we can. But Clifford Goldstein says, if you want to understand something, you have to look at its origin. You have to say, where did this come from? Because understanding is the basis for change. And that's why we wanted our children to ask questions early on. Because my experience was, I didn't get to ask those questions early on. And when I got flung out into the world and I started to ask them, it was was a hard thing to go through. I really shook my faith. We know as Adventists that this great controversy has to do with a struggle between God's authority and man's authority. And we know that history now shows that we've gone through nearly every experiment in government. So we know that Christ's coming must be near. To me, that is very comforting. But what is the great controversy really about? And I want to ask you, can you tell me what is my training is as a lawyer. And so one of the things we learned is that one of the most important things you have to do is identify the issue. What is the real underlying issue? So I want to ask you now, just if somebody's willing to share, what is the great controversy about? Uh, What is the real question that was asked in heaven? Anybody want to? Anybody brave enough? Go ahead. Yeah, it'll be between love and selfishness, okay? 
you, you know the you know my answer. So, <laughs> anybody else? The question is, is God really good? Ah, oh, there you go. You hit the nail right on the head. And we we yeah, is God good? That is the question that the great controversy is all about. Um, Now, what does this have to do with parenting? I would assert that this has everything to do with parenting. Whether God is good is a universal question. So that means it is also the deepest question in our children's hearts and also in our own hearts at any given time. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, there remain three things, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. But the other two are also essential. And knowing that, I think is a key to understanding what our role is as parents. You know, we want our children to know who God really is. We don't want to him, them to grow up serving him blindly. Now, when it comes to faith, while we're telling our children stories about Jonah and the whale and Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and Jacob and Esau, deep down, they're wondering or will wonder at some point, is there really a God? And if, he is, if there is a God, is he good? And what does it even mean? These are fundamental questions that every person asks at some point in time, whether or not you're even aware of it. And maybe these questions haven't been settled in your own minds as parents. And if not, how can we expect them to be settled in our children's minds? My personal belief is that our private thoughts and actions reflect what we believe about God and his goodness. And our dilemma is that you can get your kids to jump through all the hoops. You can read all the books and you can go through all the methods. You can teach them to do all the right things and say all the right things, especially in public. But if in the process you don't settle these answers to these questions in their minds, then all we have done is raise a graveyard of whited sepulchers. You understand the, the analogy. It's a bigger fight than you even know because Satan is determined to paint God out as being vindictive and mean and just wanting all the glory for himself. This is a common theme in literature, in books and media and video games. If you have watched any of the Little Light, um, is it Little Light? <laughs> yeah, Little Light Ministry videos, they reveal some of these themes and how they run as threads through children's movies. You know, we're feeding these ideas to our children and, and we're absorbing it subconsciously uh, we, we, we absorb this paradigm sometimes without even knowing it. We get these ideas of who God was. Emily Beth got her ideas about, you know, is God good? Is he going to force me to marry somebody that I don't want to live with for the rest of my life? From a Christian children's movie that I used to play for them when they were little. It's very subtle. In reality, I think we all struggle with these basic questions. I think it comes up maybe on a daily basis, even in my own heart, knowing what I know about how good God has been to us as a family. Uh, and it's because Satan is always, always trying to plant seeds of doubt, even in, in settings like this, in a little small conversation, something you overhear, or just the struggles that you're going through in life. We sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But our faith in God's word isn't to be a blind faith. If we don't present God to our children as a living God, and if they don't encounter a living God, not just this God from the stories of the Bible, but living and working and moving in their lives today, they are never going to have an opportunity to experience and develop faith. 
and faith is the first of those three. And along the way, they're going to ask these hard questions. I remember how it shook me when Taylor asked, I think he was you're not very old, five, six, seven. He said, why does God want all the glory for himself anyway? What what do you say to that that question in a child? I had several choices at that point. I could, you know, ignore it, downplay it. I could freak out and say, oh, how can you you ask such a question? This is blasphemy. You know, I, I could have reacted in a very emotional way. That's how I was feeling inside. The first thing, you know, I'm a pessimist, but all the way through, my first thought is, there's no hope. <laughs> all this time I've spent all the Bible stories we've read, and here he's questioning God's character. I, I, what am I going to do? And, uh, but the Lord worked, you know, in my mind to know that at that point, he needed to know the story of the great controversy. And um, we, have, we actually read through the great controversy with our kids one or two pages at a time. And... Um, and we asked those questions. We read him in the beginning of Patriarchs and Prophets where it talks about what God's choices were, what, what God actually did when his authority was questioned and his goodness was questioned. But we didn't just read him and say, okay, Taylor, here's the answer. As we were reading, we told him, okay, are you understanding this? You tell me, what, what were God's other options? What could he have done otherwise? And what would have happened if he had just crushed Satan at that point? What are you going to do? And he was able to tell this back to us. And he's asked the question several times since, so obviously it was a big issue with him. And we couldn't just say, you know, we already answered that question, can't we move on? We've had to go back and revisit it and have him retell it back to us every single time till he has reached a point where now he'll tell you what it's all about and he can answer that question for himself. Um, But again, the underlying question behind his question you know, why does God want all the glory for himself anyway is, is God good? It always boils down to that. And he might ask that same question a hundred different times, but I have to answer it every time. You know, we're supposed to be prepared to give an answer for what we believe, and that includes with our children. Now, many of us are involved in ministry. Our kids follow us all over the world. They hear sermons. They help out with meetings. They sit through evangelistic series. They work on farms, and we think that's enough. But if we don't take the time to find out what their personal questions are about God and about his character or to find out or to give them the answers, we will wake up one day and we'll watch them head out the nearest exit and wonder why. Because we read them all the Bible stories, we went through all the methods, we read all the books, and we think we did enough, and yet something was missing. There's a common mistake, I think, that we sometimes take too much credit for ourselves as children, as parents, especially when things are going well and our parent, children are at least outwardly seeming to make all the right decisions. We take credit for our actions and our good choices. We take credit for how well things are going in our lives. We're working hard. We're making good choices. So, of course, things are turning out well. You know, you reap what you sow. And then we leave God out of the equation. And our children never get to see that God is the one who is working, providing, giving, forgiving, fulfilling our dreams, comforting, guiding, speaking, and acting. He is real today. He is as real today as he ever was in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Moses. We learned early not to take any of the credit for how well things are going for us at any given time. And we've had many discussions with our kids where we've pointed out the ways that God was taking care of us 
often in spite of ourselves, often in spite of our bad choices. God has been so much better to us than we ever deserved, and we've made that very clear to our children, and it seemed to make a difference in their lives. We have avoided being the middleman between God and our children. Our first priority, I just remember, I, I realized early on, I am not the junior shepherd. He is the shepherd. He is the only shepherd. And I am a fellow sheep with my children, but I'm older and maybe a little wiser. But if I want them to follow him, I need to follow him. He needs to be my shepherd, but I need to be able to pass them off, put their hand in his, not feel like I've got to be the one leading throughout their lives because I could be gone tomorrow. And then where would they be if I have made them dependent on me and my faith? As a result, our kids have witnessed some amazing things God has done in us and for us, and each one can tell you, like they have to some degree today, about their personal experience with God and what he's done in their lives. Their faith is very much their own, and this, this was intentional from the start. Now, without faith, it's impossible to have hope, and children instinctively know this. We live in a generation that lacks hope. Can't you just tell when you read the news? I mean, this is a hopeless generation. If there's no God and no one is in control of this mess, or if there is a God and he's the kind of God that's being portrayed in the media and in the stories and by the world, we are living meaningless lives and we are in big trouble. And this is what children are thinking and feeling. They feel very hopeless. Why go on? Many youth simply don't. So without faith, without the knowledge that God is good, there is no basis for hope. Now that hope and that faith has, is not based on our perfect representations of God. We are to represent him to our children, but we know that in many ways we fail. And so if they don't encounter the real living God in their own lives and be able to tell the difference, then they're gonna be putting their faith in the wrong entity. I, I cannot be a God to my children. Um, we have failed many times, and we have been very honest with our children about what those failures are. And, and I know that there are many here today that you, know, you may look and, and think, you know, maybe your children are older, maybe they're 20 and 30, and their faith is shaken, and they've left the church. And I think that our, our main purpose in being here today is to say you never give up hope. You never stop praying for your children. My uncle that my dad prayed for for... All of his life was finally baptized and gave his heart to the Lord at the age of 83. This was a man who wouldn't even go to his own wife's funeral. He was not going to step foot in a church. And yet he showed up for his own baptism at, at 83, just two years later. So I know that you never, never, never give, give up hope. Um, without faith, there's no hope. And again, without hope and faith, we don't even have an understanding for what love is. We don't even know what it is we're hungering for. If God is as good and loving as he says he is, then we have reason to hope. So they're all just intertwined. I mean, how can you have one without the other? Um, they all work together to bring peace in our homes, peace in our hearts, peace for our children. Um, and I would suggest that every word or action either serves to build one or, our, or all of these in your children's lives. Um, but it's not, maybe not always in the ways we think. Over the years, I've had a few epiphanies. 
about the things that may confuse our children and alienate them from us and from God. And if you're struggling as a parent right now or feeling like maybe you have not always done things the way um, you, you thought you should, I, you're not alone. I have been in that place many, many times over the years. And one of the most important ones is I remember um, having the epiphany that, well, for the first 10 years of our marriage, I think I felt like, you know, I had this strong spiritual vision for our children and that my husband was along for the ride and if he would just get with the program, everything would be fine. And one day, the Lord just spoke very strongly to my heart and said, you are the problem. <laughs> she comes by it, honestly. <laughs> Now, I did not become a loving, patient, perfect mother overnight just by having that realization. But it was a start, and that was about 10 years ago. And since then, I have tried to reverse the damage that I did by being such a vindictive wife. And that's one of the three things I want to suggest to you that if you're in a place where you're questioning, you know, have I done things right? or where do I go from here? Where do I start to make a change? Like Emily Beth said, one of them is realizing that if it's not good for them, it's not good for you. We cannot live a double standard. We cannot have two separate standards for us and for our children. Whatever is good is good, and it comes from the Lord, and whatever is not is not, and it's not good for you no matter how old you are. And our children recognize that integrity. I don't think that if I had tried to live a double standard that they would have the faith that they have today. The second thing is, do we treat others with honor? And this was the realization that hit me when I realized that I had not honored my husband, even though I felt that he wasn't always doing the things that I thought were right by us as a family, I realized that I had really been blessed to be give, given the husband that I had who loved me so dearly and was so patient with all my vindictiveness. And the thing is, we have problems sometimes subtly with honor, I think, even as a church. We're quite judgmental and quite harsh with each other, I think. And we may be very strong in our faith and going through all the right motions, making good choices, but we are criticizing others who are struggling with their, maybe they're not living up to the same standards we think are important. And our children hear us uh, be critical of others. And when we dishonor anybody, I think that we are dishonoring God. And I believe with all my heart, if I had not learned that lesson early on, I would have lost my children. They would not be standing here before you today. I think that was the most important thing. And I think that's true even if you are, have an ex-spouse and you're divorced, I think the way you treat that other person and how you talk about them to your children makes a difference. It doesn't mean that you're ever going to mend that relationship and get back together, but your children are more likely to embrace your faith if they see you honoring others and treating them with kindness and respect. My father, I lost him several years ago, and he was a strong-willed person with quite a temper, I remember, even when I was younger, but I saw him grow over time and become quieter and quieter and quieter, and um, had such a deep faith that ran like an ocean, and now that quiet faith 
rings louder in my ears and in my heart than anything or any lecture he ever gave me when I was younger. The way we live our own lives and the choices that we make, you know, it begins at home. If we want to make a difference in our children's lives, we have to realize sometimes we're the problem. And when we do that, that is the beginning of change. I'm a blessed man, and I've got wonderful kids and a wonderful wife. And I want to talk to you a little bit about my walk. And I want to be a little bit honest with you, as Emily Beth was, as Connor was. The reality is we uh, all have the best of intentions, and yet I guess let's start with uh, a verse. The verse that I wanted to share with you is uh, the, last, the last passage in the Old Testament before the long gap between when the prophets were speaking and, and John the Baptist came on the scene. And that is from Malachi 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That's an ideal. That's what we're all hoping for. That's what we're hoping to accomplish is to turn the hearts of the children to the parents and the parents to the children. And um, my, I guess my shortcoming was the fact that I was working from home. We moved to Montana. We were doing all the right things. I, we were homeschooling our kids, and we thought we were you know, trying to be good parents. And, and I thought, because of the fact that I was in, in the house all day long and, and always there, that I was really a part of things. And yet, at the same time, I would escape to my office and just kind of you know, be doing the important things that God had given me to do and working with important people and getting calls from important folks over at the General Conference or at the Pacific Press or at Review and Herald and doing all these important things and yet neglecting the most important things. And that was even with, with this very deadline-driven uh, work that I had to do, uh, staying up very late at night, getting up early in the morning and hitting it again and not taking the time to center myself in the word, to spend time in prayer. And then at, at the expense of, of time with my family and kids, we were there living on a farm and raising horses and goats and chickens and, and having just this idyllic experience. And yet I wasn't really available. I wasn't really plugged in. And, a part of, and that was a part of the, the frustration that Kana was feeling, as she mentioned, with, with having problems honoring me because I wasn't really being honorable. I mean, I would come to family worship if I wasn't in too much of a deadline crisis. But, you know, beyond that, how much of a spiritual leader was I truly being in the home? Um, Selfishness was a part, I think, of the, the root core of my problem. I think in, inside of us, we're all selfish people. And we all want to please ourselves. And, and I don't think that I was really being honest with myself, with my wife, or with my kids. And, you know, we would go out to 3ABN and sing on kids' time. I'm sure many of you have seen the kids grow up on kids' time. 
and we looked like this perfect little family and I was really happy to accept that, that vision that everybody else had. Yeah, we're a perfect little family and yet at the core, I wasn't really even a part of it. I was chasing praise from external sources, chasing praise from you know, Mark Finley or Doug Batchelor or Dan Houghton or, you know, I, I was wanting the pat on the back that, that comes from a job well done. And you know, and I, I fooled myself into thinking, well, it's really important for me to provide for my family. I've got to put food on the table and put a house over their head. I'm doing my best I can. And yet I was seeking praise from everybody else when really the only praise that matters is that one phrase that we want to hear someday, well done. That's really the core. It's all that matters. In preparation for this, I wondered if I was the only guy who's in, involved in ministry. You know, I'm working full-time for the church now. And I'm busier now than I was back then. And uh, you know, it seems like every weekend there's an ordination service or a camp meeting or a town hall meeting or there's something important that I've got to go preach somewhere. I'm busier now than we were when we were living in Montana. And yet something is, is changing. You know, something is, there's, there's something that's different. But I wondered if I'm the only person who's ever felt these regrets and, and this sense of, of, you know, I wish I could do things differently. And I emailed some of those people who were so important to me, some of those people who have become friends and yet, um, you know, have had such successful ministries. I, I sent an email to Mark Finley and to Sean Boonstra and to Dick Dirksen and to Dan Jackson, to Larry Romwell. I, I actually talked with him in person. Um, and several others, people that you would know. And almost to a, a fault, you know, I asked them if they would do anything differently or if they had any regrets about the way they raised their children involved in ministry. And the, the one key element that people kept saying was, I wish I had had more time. I wish I'd had more time. Have you ever felt like you've wasted precious time? Time that can't be reclaimed. Ephesians 5 is a chapter that's very popular, uh, especially at a marriage seminar or marriage retreat, talking about family. This is the chapter where uh, Paul says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And husbands, love your lives as wives as Christ loved the church. But if you back up one paragraph in that chapter, verse 15, actually I'll start at verse 14. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you the light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. God is calling us to redeem the time. If you've ever felt like you've wasted precious time and you, you, know, you can't go back and reclaim it, there's a call to us to redeem that time. And how do you do that? How do we redeem the time? I want to read a little quote from the Spirit of Prophecy, and this is from uh, one of the, uh, what do you call it, um, devotional books, a daily devotional book. Um, and the title was How to Redeem the Time. The value of time is beyond computation. Christ regarded every moment as precious. 
and it is thus that we should regard it. Life is too short to be trifled away. We have but a few days of probation in which to prepare for eternity. We have no time to waste, no time to devote to selfish pleasure, no time for the indulgence of sin. It is now that we are to form characters for the future immortal life. She goes on to say, we are admonished to redeem the time, but time squandered can never be recovered. We cannot call back even one moment. The only way in which we can redeem our time, and here's where the hope comes in, is by making the most of that which remains. By being co-workers with God in his great plan of redemption. In those who do this, a transformation of character takes place. They become sons and daughters of God, members of the royal family, children of the heavenly king. They are fitted to be companions of the angels. Now is our time. And I think it's kind of interesting that the topic for this entire uh, series is, is time. And I know that for those of you who are fathers here in the room, you can resonate with the fact that you're, you're conflicted. You've got important things to do, things that have to be done. There's no way around it. This has to meet, be done in order to, for me to get paid. And yet at the same time, you've got this pulling on your heart. I've got to spend some time with God. I've got to spend time with my family. How do we find balance in all of that? And I want to go back to uh, some of the things that uh, a few people shared with me. This is, Sean Boonstra shared, shared this back with me. <clears throat> he said, my only regret is that I didn't take my kids along more often. It seemed so difficult because they were so little. And trying to put kids into a 15-hour days on an overseas campaign in a small room is, a tough, is tough slugging. So more often than not, we did not travel as a family. It, just didn't work. And Jean could tell you what a challenging roommate I can be when I'm super busy. I don't keep easy schedules, but all that having been said, I wish I'd taken the kids along a little more often. Not always, but often. That way, church and family are not two separate realms in their mind. And they could see more often why I feel such a powerful compulsion to keep preaching. We've done that some. We We've had the opportunity for me to take Taylor, as he mentioned. You know, some of his favorite memories are our dad and he going off together for the weekend. And, you know, he'll be grabbing a camera and, and taking pictures. Um, taking Adriana out on, on father-daughter time on a little date. Finding time, even now with the girls gone to college, I'll just pick up the phone and call him out of the blue and say, how's things going? send them a text or post on their Facebook wall. I mean, we've got to use whatever technology we can to reach out and stay connected. But time is important. Um, Mark Finley shared an interesting comment with me. He said that um, in the verse that we're all very familiar with, Proverbs 22, verse 6, and I'm going to take you there here. Um, Train up a child in the way he shall go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word train up is from the Hebrew word shanak. And when you go in and, and actually look at the background and the history of that word, 
It's very interesting. There is um, a situation that they used to, to deal with in, in, uh, in Bible times. If a baby would not suckle, if it would not take the mother's breast, they, in order to induce that sucking reflex, they would take a little bit of fig and honey and make a little paste and put it on the palate of the mouth of that child. And it actually literally means to touch the palate of the child. In essence, giving that child the taste for something good. Train up a child, in essence, means give them a taste for God. Give them a taste for spiritual things. And when they grow up, they will not depart from it. And um, I thought that was a very interesting thing. We have been, I, I have been so blessed to have a wife who was willing to sacrifice everything to train up our children in, in what was right and, and in Christian ideals, Christian questioning, questioning uh, who God is, is he really good? This is a theme that we've covered in our family over and over again. So um, I, I have to take comfort in the idea that, that God has been put on the pallet of my children's mouths, that they've gotten a taste for what is good. It's still time, there's still time to put that taste in the mouth of each child in your home. My friend Jesse Johnson answered and he said, I could give you quite a few examples of regrets in my life from before entering ministry. He was a successful CEO and businessman and he's really committed his entire life towards ministry and working within the church. He's our ASI president for the Mid-America Union and his answer, are you looking for regrets because of entering ministry? I can't give you any. And Jesse and his wife have taken their kids with them and involved them in every aspect of the ministry. And I think that's such a powerful witness when you see a family ministering together. As Connor mentioned, and I think the kids talked about, we've had the opportunity to go to Africa. We've had the opportunity to minister together through programming on 3AB, and we do it at the local church. And we try to do it as a family instead of being, in fact, that's why we wanted to include them today. Um, we, we try not to do anything without bringing the family along. And that, there's been times when they do have to sing, and yet uh, it's, it's such a blessing when we all do work together. And always at the end of something, we may go in saying, but when we're done, it's like, I'm so glad we did it. Don't you, would you guys agree? It's always a better, better looking back on it than it is looking forward to it sometimes. But at, in closing, um, we can't turn back the clock, but we can redeem the time. It's time to be about our Father's business. And the first item on God's business agenda is our families. I still have a long ways to go. But men, won't you commit with me to redeem the time, the time that we still have available? Make meaningful time with God and with your family your highest priority. It's time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the families that you've given to each one of us. And Lord, thank you that we can move past our faults and failures and still have the opportunity to redeem the time. Thank you for showing us that you are good and revealing yourself to us little by little. Help us to have faith and hope and then share 
that faith and hope as love with those inside of our families. And then, as Ellen White said, a well-ordered family is the best witnessing tool. And Lord, we want our families to be well-ordered and well-loved. Thank you, Lord. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.